Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on moviehousememories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. Welcome back to the golden age of the silver screen on the MHM Podcast Network, where each episode we review a film from the 1930s or 40s, and today, 1950. I'm Chris. And I'm Patrick. And for this episode, we are reviewing 1950s Gun Crazy. Very American title. Gun Crazy, directed by Joseph H. Lewis and starring John Dahl, Peggy Cummings, Cummins, and Barry Kroger. Uh, but before we begin, Patrick's got a wa- Oh, wait, no, this is the wrong show. Uh, but before we begin, I've got a brief summary. Gun Crazy begins with a teenage Barton Bart tear breaking a hardware store window to steal a gun. As he trips and falls in the rain, he's arrested for the act. Not the tripping and falling part, Patrick, but the, the theft. His older sister, Ruby, who's raised Bart after his parents' death um, and here his best friends, Dave and Clyde, testify that even though Bart is a dead shot with a gun, he would never kill a living creature after being traumatized by killing a little chicklet when he was a baby. Not the gum, Patrick, but a little baby ducky. Uh, the judge says, you know, well, that's all good and well, but we still have to punish you for the breaking and entering and whatever that what charge was. Sends Bart to reform school until he's of legal age or until the court deems his obsession with guns has subsided to the point where he's not a menace to society. Whichever comes first. And what came first, Patrick? He became a menace to society. He never loses that gun craziness and... He stays in reform school until he turns 18, where I assume he went immediately into the military or drafted yes. or I don't know which way it worked. But I don't know how good a, a military guy is going to be if he doesn't like to shoot people. Which I don't get. But even though he doesn't like to shoot people, he finds a job where he's fully appreciated uh, teaching marksmanship to the new recruits. After his four years of service are up, Bart's kind of bored with just the teaching. He's got to shoot something up. And Bart returns home for the very first time in a long, long while. He calls up his sister, once again, Ruby, who's now married with three bratty little children, uh, before getting back in touch with Dave, who's now the local reporter, and Clyde, who's followed into his father's footsteps to become a deputy in the police department. After the three men catch up, shooting guns in the wilderness and drinking beer, because that's what you do back in the 50s. The three boys, they head to a traveling carnival in town. There they see an act with a sharpshooter named Annie Laurie Starr. And as part of that act, anyone that can challenge her to a little shooting competition can win a prize. Bart, who's already fallen in love with the girl at first sight, probably with her gun more than her, I don't know, hard to say. He challenged her to that shooting contest and wins. Annie is equally smitten with Bart and something we will find that uh, there's a lot of violence and a lust 
intertwined throughout this film. Gun crazy, love crazy, I don't know. And she gets him a job with the carnival. However, their mutual attraction pisses off uh, their boss named Packet, who's been blackmailing Annie to be his woman, sleep with them, who knows? It's the 50s, it's assumed. Uh, because he knows she killed a man in Missouri just to watch him die. Packet's jealousy gets the better of him, and he forces himself on Lori one night. And Bart winds up entering the trailer in this little uh, scuffle, and he fires a warning shot right next to Packet's nose and into the mirror. Very nice little, is that a two-shot, Patrick? Something like that. Uh, Patrick then fires. Patrick? Patrick. Packet then uh, does a little firing of his own and fires the two little lovebirds and boots them out of the carnival. So when you and the lady are jobless, what's the first thing that you decide to do? Drive away and get married. Makes perfect sense. Uh, Lori tells him she's a bad egg, but will try to be good for him. And when a person tells you uh, their true uh, self, uh, believe them. But, you know, Bart, he's not thinking with the correct head at this point. It's the Robin Williams joke. We've got two heads and not enough blood to use both of them at the same time. Is that something like that? Once again, something like that. Uh, they then head out on their honeymoon where they recklessly spend Bart's savings. And I think they lost it all in Vegas uh, is what it was implied at one point. And with the money gone, Lori lets it be known that she won't settle for being broke. She gives Bart an ultimatum, join her in a life of crime or lose her forever. Bart does what any rational man would do when thinking with the aforementioned incorrect head. He decides to help her rob stores, gas stations, banks, and anything else that doesn't move. Uh, but they spend that money quicker than they can steal it. And when Lori persuades Bart to do at least one last heist so they can flee the country and retire rich, we know this is a noir and nothing is going to go according to plan. Watch the film to find out what happens next. Patrick, you got some numbers on this low-budget gem? All right. Gun Crazy, a.k.a. Deadly is the Female. Also, That's what it was also released as, which I actually like better as a title. Uh, it was released on January 20th of 1950, the same year as Sans Samson and Delilah, King Solomon's Mines, Annie Get Your Gun, ha <laughs> ha cheaper by the dozen. Cinderella, and All About Eve. I could find absolutely no box office numbers for this film whatsoever. So I can't give you box office. Uh, the movie poster for Gun Crazy was voted number 25 of the 25 best movie posters ever made by Premiere Magazine, back when we still had a Premiere Magazine. It isn't included in the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, for AFI. It was nominated for 1999, 1998's 100 Years 100 Movies list. Ultimately did not make the top 100. It was nominated for 2001's 100 Years 100 Thrills list. Ultimately did not make the top 100. was nominated for 2002's 100 Years 100 Passions list. Did not make the top 100. was nominated for 2005's 100 Years 100 Movie Quotes list. For the line, we go together, Lori. I don't know why. Maybe like guns and ammunition go together. Didn't make the top 100. And then it was nominated for AFI's 10 top 10s list under the category of gangster film. Didn't make the top 10 there as well. But nominated multiple times for AFI. 1998, the film was placed in the National Film Reg Registry by the Library of Congress. 
uh, as being uh, uh, historically uh, significant. It was inspired inspired the 1992 film Gun Crazy, starring Drew Bra- Drew Barrymore, although a drastically different film and slightly different story. Rotten Tomatoes has it at 91% critics and 84% audience, and that is the numbers on Gun Crazy. You know, this is now the second of my favorite low-budget noirs, the other one being Detour. I don't know if you ever saw that one, Patrick, 1945. I, have, I do have the uh, the uh, the criterion for that. I just haven't watched it yet. Oh, okay. And this is and this is one I've seen a number of times. This is the first time you've seen this film, right? Correct. It was. I I'd actually never even, despite all those very impressive numbers, had never even heard of this movie until you uh, said, let's review it. it. It was on your list. It was nominated for your list, but ultimately passed on. Correct. Okay. Uh, what's your first impressions of it? Uh, cheaply made. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, it, it, I was, it, it reminded me, uh, I kept waiting for the mystery science th- uh, theater characters to pop in the bottom right-hand corner uh, because it seemed to be ex- exceptionally low budget and it seemed to be something that uh, would be reviewed on those films. Not for its story uh, so much, just that it was obviously not an expensively made film. That was my initial impressions. You know, but some of it, I think worked really well. There's the the scene in the car where they go to rob the bank, all one shot where they they've got the cameraman jammed in the back seat, very low budget, but you know, it's not a, it's not a projected screen. And I think it adds a little something to the, to the overall theme, even though this is yes, very much low budget. No, I mean, and, and, you know, necessity is the, you know, somewhat the uh, product of genius because, you know, they, they purposely did that, but it was a quick and, easy way to do that shot without being too expensive. And I agree with you. There are some very impressive cinematography to, cinematography to this film that is unique to the film that you don't see in a lot of other things. I don't think the acting is exceptional. I don't think the story is necessarily exceptional. And I certainly don't have uh, any connection with any of the characters in the film whatsoever. But, it, you know, I, 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 I have to say, I was uh, kind of blown away <laughs> by the the pedigree for this film the the you know kind of the legacy of it once again it's not a film i'd ever even heard of uh and then to see that has been nominated for i believe what six uh, afi lists you know that's that's something i mean even though it didn't make the top 100 and i can understand why it didn't i mean there's a lot of exceptional uh competition for the, those positions it, you know the, it is a film of somewhat historical significance even in the national film registry so although I did, uh, was unaware of it, it obviously has, uh, you know, an audience for it. Yeah. And I'm one of them. I, I've always, I've always enjoyed this film. Uh, it's, it's a bare minimum story. Uh, there, and like you said, you, you don't really get a whole lot of attachment to it, but it's, it's a fun ride with minimal characters because really it's just the two of them for the vast majority of this film. And they, they do hold your attention through the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, the characters are, as I said, they're almost so utterly bizarre to me, you know, that this the, the, that they're so fixated on uh, guns, especially the male character, um, you know, that he, you know, he's just, you know, obsessed with him, but yet not in the killing. You know, the, the contradiction of it is really interesting up until obviously the last scene. Um, but... That, you know, for being a 1950 f- film, this is pretty racy. 
you know, <laughs> that, you know, the, the implication is they're getting sexually aroused by, you know, the gunplay, uh, both sexually and with, with actual literal guns. And it, it, it comes off as, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, you don't see films like this coming out of that era. I can see where maybe there was, this was very, very poorly received by a lot of the moral majority that was probably in existence in 1950s. It, it's, but it, you know, it's, it, the plot is something I'd almost expect to see out of a 1990s, you know, uh, independent film such as the Drew Barrymore version, but uh, that it, it seems very out of place for a 1950s uh, cheap black and white film. Well, when, when uh, he's shooting, uh, when they're in the shooting contest, she's stroking her gun very suggestively while Correct. he's shooting. It, yeah. it, there's nothing subtle about them. No, at all, at any point during the film. And, you know, and you're talking about an era where subtlety was the, the norm. You didn't have explicit sexual innuendo in a lot of films, and they they are downright explicit about it. You know, they don't do nudity, obviously, but they, you know, they're 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 heavily implying that these two characters are just so sexually motivated towards each other and their weaponry. Well, they're in the motel, single bed. You know, a lot of these films. I don't know, fifty is a little late for them to still have the double beds on screen, but it's single bed. She's suggestively putting on her stockings while saying, hey, uh, you're going to help me out with these robberies or you you don't get this, basically. Yeah. Let's talk about actors. John Dahl, I think he was in, was he in Spartacus? Yes, he was. Uh, and to me, whenever I see him, he's, he's like he's like the low-budget Jimmy Stewart in many ways. To me, I, I kind of get that aw shucks sort of vibe from him which is what you want in a war because you want that supposed every man who gets caught up uh in something you know that he can't get out of although he's really not an innocent person in this one uh, what did you think of uh john Dahl? i i liked him better than the female lead uh i i, I thought <clears throat> he was more accessible as a character um that you know he just unfortunately gets caught up in this destructive relationship that he can't escape, which I thought was a good theme. I just thought it was unusual that they brought the fixation about guns and that which just seemed to be, have you ever seen the movie crash by David Cronenberg in the nineties? I've heard of it, but I don't think I've seen that. All right. Where it's, you know, it's basically people who get sexually aroused by car crashes Mm -hmm. being involved in them, but also seeing like the repercussions of it. And I felt a lot about this film the same way I felt about that film. It's like, I just feel exceptionally dirty after watching it. <laughs> it's just like, ooh, you know, and uh, although that one is much more sexually explicit, this is, this is a 50s version of it, is that there's so much, you know, implied violence based off their fixation on guns. And, you know, he gets caught up in what she does. And, you know, and at no point in time do you, I, I think, that she's actually going to be and listen to him about no killing and, you know, which he is adamantly against, which seems to be, as I said, an odd kink, you know, to his character in that regard. And both, you know, for, both sexually as well as the way he is written that I like guns. I like to shoot guns. I'm an expert at shooting guns, but I don't like killing and I don't want to kill things or people. Uh, and the, the way they wrote that in this film was just, I mean, I, I thought his, as I said, I thought his character was the most successful. I thought he did an okay job. 
I, but ultimately I still had a bit, a bit of revulsion to the characters in this film. No. Yeah. I think you should though, because they were, they're definitely (laughs) not great people. No. Peggy Cummins. I think this is pretty much all she's known for. Uh, I can't think of any other films. I looked her up. I mean, she's she did other films, but nothing of real substance. Nothing that I've ever seen her in. I mean, at least a doll I'd seen. I I, re, I did not recall him in Spartacus, but but once I looked up his IMDb, I went, oh, okay, yeah, he was in Spartacus. I think originally they wanted Veronica Lake. She would have been good, but I think by 1950, her uh, her alcoholism and her schizophrenia were. Uh, had got the better of her and she was just too difficult to work with at that time. But honestly, I think if they would have cast Veronica Lake, she would have been uh, much better than Peggy, but I don't have any complaints. Uh, I think I liked her a little bit better than, than you did in this one. Yeah. I I just didn't think that she was really that talented of an actress. Um, I thought she was chewing up a lot of scenery. I thought she was a little hammy. Um, I, I didn't think, I didn't think she had nuance in a film that I think needed a lot of nuance. I mean, she's just was so overt about everything in the film that I, I to me, it's hard for me to believe, to believe the character, the, the, the doll character is, uh, believing her when she's saying, yeah, I agree with you. No killing. This is going to be it. When I don't, as an actress, I'm not buying any of that crap. You know, I honestly believe if she's going to kill someone in the first opportunity because she gets off on it. Literally. Yes. Uh, Yeah, those bullets are very orgasmic for the two of them. Correct. It seems like in a lot of these noirs, they always have this carnival theme to the beginning of them, and and so many uh, that we do. And I I thought it was pretty interesting that they had this one as well. Uh, Even like Nightmare Alley, you know, it starts off in the carnival. They get kicked out for some reason. They... They go on to bigger and better things and they end up dead from it. Yeah. Um, it, I can see similarities to to nightmare alley, especially with the carnival aspect of it. Um, not, you know, not explicitly, uh, you know, I, I, nightmare alley I thought was a little more interesting. I thought it was better, well written or a uh, uh, better written than this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as I said, I, I admire this film for being the oddity of 1950. And although I did not necessarily completely enjoy the film, um, it was not what I initially expected it to be as kind of a cheap, low budget uh, film noir that was a, a step above the films reviewed on Mystery Science Theater. Did you did you think uh, that it was going to be a very weird film? with the beginning where he's a little boy, were you expecting the jump or did you, were you like, uh, where are they going to take this? I mean, it was an unusual start. Uh, and once, you know, once we started, started getting going in the film, uh, I was like, okay, well, this is, this is interesting. You know, we'll, we'll see where this ultimately goes. Um, once she came into the picture, I was like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to like this journey, you know, and that's where I started to separate from it for a little bit. But even the opening sequence as the, the little boy, I thought was a little, that, that was exactly what I was thinking as a, this is a low budget, you know, uh, a step above mystery science theater type of, uh, 1950s film. Once it got into the, as I said, the kind of the sexual innuendo, the, uh, <clears throat> their 
arousal from gunplay, I was like, yeah, okay, this is not what I expected. This is not th- uh, that type of film. Yeah, because the beginning is almost like a golly gee, 50s Perry Mason sort of set up with, with the courtroom. Everybody's earnest and, you know, it, it's very TV friendly, that, that first section. And it does take a hard right. <laughs> yes, it does. Joseph H. Lewis. Do you know anything about him as a director? Low budget for this one. I think he did outstanding job. The Big Combo is the other one maybe you've heard of. Nope. Never heard of it. I, I enjoy his stuff in general, but, you know, I think you kind of hinted at But what did you think of the directing style, given that very limited uh, with their budget? Uh, did he, you think he pulled it off with what he had? Well, with what he had, I mean, as I said, start off with the cinematography, he, you know, he made some distinctly unique scenes that you don't necessarily see in a lot of films. And so I think he needs to be he needs to get credit for that, that he he made a lot out of nothing at certain point at periods of time and made it interesting to look at visually uh, as the film progresses. At the beginning, it's very, you know, it's pretty standard. But by the time they get into their hijinks and later in the film, you get, you know, you get a lot of long shots. You get a shots, you know, them driving away in the car, you know, driving up to the bank in that car. I mean, you, you, you're getting some very, very interesting cinematography. So he's made some choices that I think amplified and it made this film a little bit better than probably a lot of other films around the same time frame. They were probably made on minimal budgets. You know, and as someone, as, as both of us living in the Southwest, the low budget and a lack of location really cracks me up in this one because the, the main robbery at the end, they don't really say where they are, but you see the word Albuquerque written on the building. So, okay, they're pulling a heist in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Then they're going across state lines. And when they get to California, that's gotta be the Arizona, California border, which is clearly that is not Arizona, (laughs) California border scenery. So, you know, just as somebody who knows the, these states that does crack me up uh with with the presentation he did i mean it's obviously being filmed probably very california centric uh you know where they can drive a couple miles and get to a completely different kind of uh ecosystem to make it look like a different location and and obviously they're they're not (laughs) It, it does crack me up when they got to the border though the little thing with the are you bringing in fruits because i remember Yes. So many times over the years, it, it wouldn't it die out. Maybe in the '80s when they stopped asking that as you cross borders. I, you know, I don't know when it stopped in the '80s, but it, it definitively, I, you know, every time we crossed the border from Mexico, I remember them asking us that. And the, I, you know, every once in a great while, we would, you know, uh, go over to California, and I, I remember someone asking that, and I never understood. Like, hey, we're just going from California, from Arizona to California. Why? Why, why would we have, why would you do that? So when, uh, my grandfather would drive from Albuquerque to Tucson, he would actually smuggle in, uh, various fruits and little trees, uh, to give to my dad to plant in the yard or, you know, just whatever fruit he had from his, his yard. And so he literally would have to hide them from the, the border customs people from state to state and lie to him so he could bring it over. And I think that's why it cracked that scene cracked me up. Now, as you're watching this, I, I don't think you cannot make at this point in time a comparison to Bonnie and Clyde, can you? No. I mean, it's obviously it's 
you know, uh, inspired by the Bonnie and Clyde, uh, you know, legend, if you will. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't think it, I think Bonnie and Clyde with Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway is a much better made film uh, that, you know, coming around, I don't know, what is it, 20 something years or maybe, you know, about 18 years later. Uh, but this is obviously inspired by the actual villains, them, even actually villains, actual criminals themselves. That's a little bit, I wouldn't say harder to make, to watch, but you know, it, you're, you're always comparing the two. And that's definitely a higher budget film, of course. So, I mean, in, in its day, um, it was probably uh, pretty, uh, you know, pretty, uh, ex, you know, pretty cheap compared to some other films. Now, what'd you think of the ending where they, uh, after this long chase, they finally go back to his hometown where it's the big standoff and uh, uh, his two buddies who know that he's not going to to hurt a fly, they come unarmed, which to me, I'm like, bring the gun, buddy. Uh, <laughs> leave the cannoli. Yeah. Leave the bring cannoli. The sure. They, they know, they know their buddy, but they don't know their buddy's wife. So I'm like, dude, keep, keep, just keep that gun on you. But uh, what do you think of the end? Spoiler. I mean, it's a 70 year old film now, but he shoots his wife before they can shoot her. Uh, and uh, I don't know what that's supposed to say really, but uh, what'd you think of the end? Well, and it's interesting. You say that is like, you know, cause that was something I was thinking is, is this finally him uh, accepting the violence that comes along with, uh, you know, being, I, I won't say a gun owner specifically, but you know, to having his obsession with guns or is it him saving his friends, you know, at that point in time, finally going against his wife, choosing his friends who supported him, you know, and backed him up as a child, or is it to, I will take her out before they'll have the opportunity to do so, you know, because I don't want her to go to prison. I don't want her, you know, there's a, 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 many different ways you can look at that ending. And that, that's when I think one of the strengths of this film is the ambiguity at the end is, who is he ultimately acting for himself, her, or his friends, you know, and, and and I, and I, and I, or a combination of all of it, you know, I, it's, I, I thought that was an interesting scene, especially where it comes into at the, in the film. Yeah. That is one of the things I do like about it. I also like the fact that Ruby, his sister was obviously she was disappointed, but they, they did build the tension pretty darn quick between her and, uh, his wife, Lori, uh, pretty yeah. quick. And, uh, yeah. I like that. I like the fact that she was willing to kidnap his, uh, nephew and he's like, no, keep the kid here. They'll never shoot at us if we have the kid. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let, let's just make, let's just compound those mistakes, Lori. Uh, let's go around the table here. When all said and done on a scale of, uh, one to five, do you consider this film a bad one or do you give it a high five? I, you know, I will tell you that initially when the film started, I'm going, I, Chris has fooled me into watching some other crap film again. Um, and I was not enjoying it when I saw that this was not going to be the standard black and white, low budget, uh, crime film noir movie from the 1950s. 
and ex- especially the sexual undertones, I went, okay, well, this is something different. I appreciate the different aspect of it. The cinematography I liked a lot, and I like the end. I, I still think it has tremendous flaws. <laughs> it really, really does. It-, it would be interesting to see someone remake this film with some money, with a budget, and with two talented actors, not just one. Uh, and I, and unfortunately, I don't, I don't think the Drew Barrymore uh, version, which I know I've seen, uh, and, and I did not realize it was that film was inspired by this film. And my memory of it is, is not even close to the same storyline. It just has the same title. Um, but I would be interested in someone remaking this because uh, I think it, it could be something exceptional. Ultimately, I'm going to say it's it, three stars. You know, I, I, it's it's not horrible. It's not bad. There's obviously an audience for it because it's very well rego- regarded historically. The legacy of it is pretty compelling. I can't argue against those numbers and what it's been nominated for and being in the National Film Registry. And even the film critics are reviews for it are, are pretty high. The, the high score is a high score off uh, Rotten Tomatoes. So, uh, but not ultimately my cup of tea. I think that the flaws take it down quite a few notches. Uh, but it's still worth seeing because it's very different. And, and I would encourage anybody who's kind of a cinephile to go watch this film because I, I, you know, I love films and I'd never even heard of it. And, you know, this is one of those, you know, happy accidents where you come along and recommend a film for me and I watch it because we're going to review it. And I walk away with a greater appreciation for at least the, the history of it. I think Quentin Tarantino could do a good job. I, I agree with you. I absolutely. And I think this is right up his alley. And he definitely loves films from this era. So I like it more than you, obviously. Uh, this is, wasn't my first time seeing it. I give it four stars out of five. I will definitely agree with your call outs. Uh, the, the people could be a little bit more compelling. Man, if they could have got Veronica Lake, I think that would have been a much better addition. But no, I, I, I do enjoy this film. And as far as low budget noirs, I don't know if I think I like detour a little bit better than this one it's hard for me to 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 pick of the two but if you like movies i say just watch both of them um so yeah four stars for me well that's it for our review of gun crazy please let us know what you think of the film in the comments section and for our listeners over on moviehousememories.com please rate it from one to five stars on that page as well if you enjoyed today's review please do not forget to subscribe to our youtube channel the MHM Podcast Network, where I guess, are we required to say ring the bell? Is that is that what the kids do these days, Patrick? Ring the bell, yes. subscribe, no, whatever the... Subscribe to the account, ring the bell for notifications, so it'll give you updates when we post new material, new material on YouTube. Subscribe to Patreon, buy our t-shirts, drink our beer, whatever the... We have t-shirts? No. Wow. Yeah, I wish. We're not that fancy. Um... Where the hell did I leave off? Ah, skip it. Until next time at the big show when we will review another classic from the 1930s or 40s, which I haven't got a foggiest idea what we're going to do. We're coming back in October with a horror-themed film, but we have yet to pick it. Oh, okay. Probably something from Universal's Monster Studios. I would say that's a good possibility. What are your thoughts on The Bride of Frankenstein? I don't have a problem with that. Oh, well, I'll join you for that one if you want to do Bride of Frankenstein. Bride of Frankenstein it is. Uh, Well, until next time when we review the Bride of Frankenstein, I'm Chris. I'm Patrick. And that is a wrap.
This podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The song Hyperfun is brought to you by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the golden age of the silver screen, the MHN Podcast Network, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted.